0: We're going to turn to our scripture reading, which is found in Exodus chapter 5, uh, starting from verse 1. You'll find it on page 61 uh, of the Pew Bibles, and Mark Harbison is going to come and read this.
1: So the reading is Exodus chapter 5, ending at verse 1 of chapter 6. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you have straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, "'Why have you treated your servants this way? "'Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. "'Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people.'" Pharaoh said, "'Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. "'This is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. "'Now get to work. "'You will not be given any straw. "'You must produce your full quota of bricks.'" The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Amen.
2: I am Pharaoh and I have a problem. Well, actually I've got two. One's my voice, but that should be able all right. My my main problem is this, in a word, immigrants. Some generations ago, a Hebrew family came down with good political connections and were permitted to settle in the Nile Delta in a place called Goshen. They were shepherds, but we persuaded them in the light of all the construction that was going around, we persuaded them to be builders. Well, when I say persuaded, they had no option. They were forced labor. And they made reasonable builders And they were doing jobs which the native Egyptians didn't want to do. But there was a problem. Not only were were they good builders, but they bred like locusts. There were 70 of them that came down into the land, and now there are literally thousands And that makes me uneasy, and not only me. Because they present a security risk. What happens if one of our enemies, and we have got plenty, what happens if one of our enemies comes to attack us? Where will the Hebrews' loyalty lie? Will they rise up against us? So, what did we do? Well, we decided to do a spot of culling. We would cull out some of the baby boys. It didn't work because Hebrew women, they drop their babies before the midwives arrive and we just couldn't get a handle on that. So what else were we to do? Well, another problem arose. My aunt adopted a Hebrew child. Moses is his name. He grew up in the court, benefiting from the the lifestyle and the education of a prince. And then one day he did something very out of character, we thought. He killed one of our taskmasters. And of course, he had to flee and he went into the wilderness. That's 40 years ago. Now... He has come back. I'm a bit nervous when he's about, so I'm not going to touch him because he can do weird and wonderful things with sticks and snakes. But he's come back claiming that he's met a new God in the wilderness, and now this God is telling me to let all the Hebrews go. I am Pharaoh. I run Egypt. Who is this God anyway? Well, that brings us to chapter 4. No, to chapter 5 in uh, Exodus. And as we turn to it, let's pray. Speak, O Lord, and let us hear what you would say to us from your precious Word and not only hear but obey for your name's sake. Amen. Who rules here? That was the question Pharaoh was asking. Who rules here? You, you, you may find now that the drama... Sorry about that. Uh, but now that the drama's over, you, you may want to have your uh, your Bible in front of you at Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, 5.1. Five, Moses turns up. With his background, he has access to Pharaoh, and he says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says... Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh replied, Lord, who is this Lord? I know it's his name, Jehovah or Yahweh or something. Who in earth is he? I don't know him, and I'm darn tooting, or whatever the Egyptian equivalent is. I am not going to let Israel go. Go. They said, Listen, the God of the Hebrews, he's met us. Now let us take a three day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. And Pharaoh said, No way. No way. Who is this Lord? Well, who is the Lord? The Lord is his name. Uh, you'll see in the text it has the Lord in L-O-R-D, all in capital letters. And elsewhere you'll see in the scriptures capital L-O-R-D in small letters. And that, it, that is because the Jews, when they came across the name of God, I am that I am, We sometimes call him Jehovah in the past. Now some people call him Yahweh, J-A-H-W-E-H. That name is so holy to the Jews that they don't even take it upon their lips when they're reading the scriptures aloud. When they come across the name, they say the Lord. And influenced by that, the translators, when they come across the name of the Lord in the Scriptures, have translated it in the NIV and most of the other translations, capital L-O-R-D. And why is that? Because a a, a name in, in the Scriptures is much more than a label, a label that identifies us. You're waiting for something and your name is called out. You know, that's me. And so you go and collect or whatever. But a name in the scriptures means much more than a label. It refers to a person's character, his or her reputation, a lot more about them, who they are, and not just what they are called. And we remember in chapter 3, in the desert, Moses saw a burning bush, and he went there to see what it is, and the voice came out. And the voice said, I am Jehovah, Yahweh. I am that I am. His name means something like the God who exists, the only God but he's the one who can't be messed about with. Take off your shoes from off your feet. He's not a chum. He's not a pal. And in chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, we see that this was a new revelation. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. There's a name. And maybe I'm just uh, traditional, but I don't like to use Jehovah or Yahweh. I like to use the Lord. If the Jews showed reverence, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't we? He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai, in the Hebrew. But by my name, the Lord, Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. This was a new revelation, a new revelation of the Lord. Moses, of course, said, come on, I don't buy that. You may have rule somewhere else, but in Egypt I am king. And how did he show it? We know the story. He said, right, you've come, come You've come and you want to go. You're lazy. Boys, you thought work was hard. I'm going to make it hard. Now you can make your bricks and we will not give you straw. Go and get your own straw or stubble. And what happened? Well, the Israelites, we see 512, the people were scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble and use it for straw. They were scattered. Now, that was good. If they posed a security risk, and that's what worried them, it was good to scatter them because then they presented less of a risk. And the, the, the other result of this bright idea of pharaohs, no, uh, no straw with bricks, but make sure you maintain the quota, it would divide the people Look at verse the end of chapter 5. The Israelites, a foreman, who had to maintain the quota, and when they hadn't, they were beaten. Uh, they went to see Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gave them a very strong negative. And then as they left Pharaoh, we see in verse 20, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, and they weren't a happy crowd. They said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. It's your fault. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh. Literally, and it's a lovely expression, even though it's a mixed metaphor. Don't worry about that. You have made us a stink up the nose in the eyes of Pharaoh. Well, it's, it's a bit mixed, but you get the intensity Of their feeling. This was a very clever plan because it divided the people. It divided the people. They were resentful, they thought Moses had dropped them in it, and now he wants to pursue. And they're bearing the penalty, not Moses. And then we get, if, if you look on, you see the second half of uh, chapter 6 is a bit strange. It, it, it gives us the genealogy of the first three tribes of Israel and tells us the names of, uh, of Moses and Aaron's father. Now, why on earth do we have that Interrupting the whole narrative. A couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump, you've heard of him, he uh, announced that after nearly 10 years of doubting it, he now accepted that Barack Obama had been born in the United States. Earlier, he had said, I don't think he was born in America and by saying that he was of course challenging Obama's legitimacy as president because one of the rules for the U.S. president not anybody can be president only people who were born in the United States. Now look at this genealogy at the end having mentioned and set Moses and Aaron in the middle of the genealogy. What does he say, the writer, in verse 26? It was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out by their divisions. Uh, they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh king of Egypt about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. He's here he's saying, doing a kind of trump, not that he ever doubted it, he said, Moses and Aaron are true blue, wonderful line in the tribe of Levi, Israelites. Now why is he saying that? He's saying that because Satan was working in, in Israel, trying to cause division, and some people were even doubting Moses' ancestry. Doubting his ancestry. And, you know, Satan is always trying to divide and hinder the Lord's work. He's always trying to do it. And if things are going well, well, then, then there's a cause... that. We find in the the machine, which is the church, that wee little bit of grit. There's a little something said, some offence is taken, somebody's been hurt. There's a bit of resentment, and Satan is feeding it all. Dividing so that the Lord's work will not continue and prosper. Brother and sister, let us beware. But then we go into chapter 6 again leaving five. And in this chapter, we we find out what the Lord is like. And I just have to deal with this very briefly because of the time. We see in in chapter six, verses two to five, he is the Lord who keeps his promises. I am the Lord, appeared to Abram and the other patriarchs, Uh, By my name, I did manifest myself to them. So it wasn't entirely new, his name, but it was new to Moses and the the then generation. He said, I I established my covenant with them. And now, verse uh, 5, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Remembered doesn't mean, oh yes, I made it had forgotten that. No, no, it doesn't mean having forgotten then to remember. It means I'm going to put it into force. I'm going to put it into effect. Why? Because he had heard their groanings. He's a God who is concerned for his people. Concerned for his people? They were running all over all over Egypt, looking for any bit of stubble or straw they could find. They were being beaten. They were being chastised. It was hard to believe it, but it was true. He's concerned with his people, and he keeps his promises. He rules the world. He says, 6.1, I will with my mighty hand let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he, Pharaoh, will let them go. He's stronger than Pharaoh. And then, as we see in our subsequent studies, we see he's Lord of nature, Lord of the weather, Lord of the world. That's the Lord. Glory be to his name. Thirdly, we see... He's the Lord who redeems his people. Look at verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you up from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And that's a a wonderful thought to to approach The Lord's table. He was the kinsman redeemer. The the, the best example of that is, of course, Boaz. You know the story. Boaz, what did he do? He went and he bought from a closer relative to Naomi and Ruth than he. He bought from that relative the inheritance which these two women mother and daughter-in-law had lost when a father and when a husband and father-in-law had died he bought that inheritance and he gave them freedom and security and love and everything else it's, it's, the, the story of Ruth is a wonderful story. He was the Redeemer. And now we know in the light of the fuller revelation that Jesus is the Redeemer who gave himself for his people, for you and for me. As the children were just saying, we take the bread and we think of the broken body. We break it at the start of the communion. We take the wine and we think of the shed blood. Why? Because Jesus is the Redeemer. And verse 7, the Lord says, I will take you as my own people my special people that's a phrase we don't get earlier in the Old Testament and I will be your God and that's the promise to us as we come to share in bread and wine as we celebrate it and so as an old traditional chorus has we've got to trust and obey the wonderful Redeemer. And I think this is the last thing I want to say, is sometimes things in the Christian life, things get worse before they get better. Have you noticed that? Sometimes things get worse before they get better. They certainly got worse for the Israelites. And they suffered and they suffered and they cried out to God and Pharaoh was absolutely intransigent. Is that the right word? It'll do. Uh, He didn't budge until he had to. And then there was liberty and freedom and the journey to the promised land. Can you think of When you first trusted Christ, perhaps years ago, you trust Christ and you're elated. Sins are forgiven, you've been struggling, and finally the Holy Spirit breaks through and you repent and ask the Lord into your life. Wonderful. Wonderful. And then what happens? You go to school. You go to school, and what do you find? You lose some friends. You go to work. Your other relationships. The the people who tolerated us, maybe, now oppose us. The people who agreed with us now criticize us. Before we were converted, there was reasonable harmony. Now sometimes there's division things often get worse before they get better as they do in the Christian fellowship as they do as brothers and sisters uh, together follow Jesus and know his power within and his strength but we we ask why is that Lord why is that Lord and some of us are still finding things very difficult and and, and and why is that? Think of it this way. If Pharaoh had said when Moses brought the request the first time, if he said, Okay, I'll let you go, they would have gone. But there would have been no miracle where the Egyptians, who had held on for as long as they they could, then almost forced the Israelites out, giving them their wealth and everything and said, please take it with you. They wouldn't have experienced that. They wouldn't have experienced the miracle of God's might as the Red Sea divided and they walked through and then the Red Sea, the, the, the both sides reunited and the Israelite army, the Egyptian army, was wiped out. There wouldn't have been the the, the long provision in the promised land. They wouldn't have experienced God in these wonderful ways and known his might and his power and his compassion if, if Pharaoh had said, okay. But the Lord didn't let him say, okay, at the start. He hardened his heart. And sometimes the Lord make us, makes us struggle and makes like, allows life to be difficult. Why? That we might depend more upon him and know his power in fuller measure. What's the measure? What's the message today? Whatever we're facing, coming to his table, are we trusting in him? Who is Lord of our life? The Lord or some other Pharaoh, ourselves, the state, whoever. That's a choice we make. That's a choice we make. And be assured that the message is he is able. He is willing. He will act. And let's have a moment in silence. As we focus on what the Lord has been saying, as we prepare ourselves totally unworthy. To come to his table, but as we acknowledge that Jesus is our Redeemer, and through his perfect sacrifice, we are invited to come to share and to go on our way strengthened and enabled be his obedient fruitful servant Lord sometimes we are as intransigent as Pharaoh and we find it as hard to understand as Moses did in the wilderness it took 40 years Lord, many of us don't have 40 years. So this morning, by your Spirit, work in our lives to acknowledge where we have failed, where we have sinned, how unworthy we are, and help us by faith to feed on you round your table and to your name be all the glory Amen
0: Let's join together in prayer Lord we are indebted to you for your love towards us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Lord, we're indebted to you for the giving of your one and only Son. Thank you for his sacrificial debt for us. Thank you for his obedience and his righteousness, which means that we stand before your throne in beauty which is not our own. Lord, we're indebted to you. And Lord, we ask this morning as we've heard your word that you would send us out into this coming week, not trying to earn back your goodness to us, but to live with thankful hearts which are eager to tell of your son's love for ourselves and to others. Lord, thank you for this time around your word and sacrament this morning, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.